All right. Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Craig F. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today's date is Thursday, July 30th, 2020. Um, today we're reading from the big book on page XXVI in the doctor's opinion. Uh, the second paragraph that starts, The Physician Who, and we're going to read one paragraph. Uh, today's readers are Hoodie R, Nancy P, and Barbara P. Uh, the, uh, uh, Barbara will do the steps, and we have Marie D doing the traditions. Uh, Vanita L is the newcomer greeter, and Matt F is the second hour host. Uh, the reference numbers for yesterday, uh, July 29th, for the 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting was 15,068.15068, and for the 10 a.m. meeting is 15,069.15069. Overeaters um, Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I'm now going to ask uh, Barbara P. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Barbara P., recovered compulsive overeater in the Atlanta area. 12 steps. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 
and 12 having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs thank you next we'll have uh, Marie D do the read the 12 traditions hi good morning Marie D grateful to be here the 12 traditions one Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon other unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to service. Beth. Craig, we can't hear you. How's that? Much better. Sorry. Okay. How how our meeting works? Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirements for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. The meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone in order to have a quiet meeting. Everyone's uh, phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page XXVI uh, on the second paragraph um, and that begins with uh, the physician who we're going to do one paragraph. So, I would ask you to, uh, if you've uh, shared in the last two days, to 
please hold back and let the, pe- let the people that haven't shared those last couple days uh, have a chance. Um, so if you shared today's Thursday, you shared on Wednesday or, or Tuesday, uh, I ask you to hold back um, and let other people have a chance. Okay. Um, who would like to uh, – oh, we're going to start with uh, – I'm sorry. We're going to start with Hoodie R. Hoodie? Uh, go ahead. Hello, Craig. This is Hoodie R, a recover compulsive overeater. The physician who, at our request, gave us this letter has been kind enough to enlarge upon his views in another statement which follows. In this statement, he confirms that we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality or were outright mental defectives. These things were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable extent with some of us, but we are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. And um, while well, I'm so amazed to reading this paragraph this morning, and um, it says here, suffer, we who have suffered alcoholic tra- torture must believe. And, um, you know, there there are not too many musts in this in this book, but I did recall hearing once that there were 72 times written in the big book, must. I must believe. Because, you know, if I don't con- concede to my innermost self what my problem is, then I cannot go about the solution. But um, here, you know, I had to believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. You know, things were not going well in my life. I was falling apart mentally. But you know what? There was something with my body that has to be changed as well. I am not normal in my physical. My physical. Physically, there is something not abnormal about. And it's a, it's the same as it, it's 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 as it's, it's, it's as abnormal as my mind is. So my body, something has to change for that, and I had to accept that. And I concede to my innermost self that my body was sickened as well as my mind, and I had to take precautions on a daily basis to ensure and to ensure health, to let to let go, and to live. Um, yes, um, my my mind needs help, but I had to be a discipline. And when I accepted the fact that there was something wrong with me physically, as Dr. Silkworth, you know, so many people were trying, he was trying to, you know, trying to carry the the message, the spiritual message to other people, and no one would get sober because he wasn't explaining about the physical aspect of the, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. But, you know, if, if, if it was only the mind, then you know, then I could just work the steps and everything would be tidy tidy. But today I had to be disciplined and um and and have a structure around that physical aspect. Um, um so, you know, in our belief any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out the physical factor in the incomplete, I had to have both um I have to have both ad, um aspects of this problem of allergy and the mind to ensure that I am an alcoholic of this type to be able to embark on this program of recovery. So, you know, 
emotions were driving me and chasing me and having me chase that effect. But there was also every single time that I was going to have one donut or one slice, I had 20, and I couldn't even stay on a diet for more. And there's something going on physically in my body. And um, and I need to be extra cautious. So I like what this um, doctor had to say, that to, to treat the physical aspect first. Be clean. Be 100% abstinent. Um, and know what those were so that, you know, Deep down, other thoughts or other things that go on, you know, I know who I am. I know what I need. And no matter what anyone else does, I could be safe because I know I know who and what I am. And, um, and nothing, nothing will change. And, um, you know, then I can uh, live with ease and with grace. And with that, I pass. Okay. Thank you for getting us started, Eddie. All right, so now we say that uh, if you've shared in the last couple of days, we ask you to hold back and uh, let other let other people have a chance. So, who would like to share on this paragraph? Katie F. Nancy P. Okay. Ilana K. Lynn S. Maura Z. Tom A. Lauren N. Uh, hold on. I think that's going to be enough for this first round. We have Katie F., Nancy P., Elena K., Lynn S., Maura Z., Tom. Didn't get your last initial. And... Uh, uh, Lauren N. Okay, uh, Katie, let's go. Okay, good morning. I'm Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Virginia, currently in North Carolina. And this paragraph is what distinguishes us from um, just being people who uh, eat too much because it's not just about our um mental state is not, you know, me, what I thought for so long is that if I just got the right job, the right boyfriend, the right um, living arrangement, had enough money, had enough clothes, if everything on the external um, were correct, then I wouldn't have this problem that I could convince myself to eat like normal people. If I had the right diet um, and lost the weight, then everything would just be fine. But that just was never the case because I am biologically different than other people in that most people, when they get, um, when they eat something, they like how it tastes, they eat some, and then they put it away, you know. But me, no matter how, how full I am, no matter, even if I don't like it, <laughs> I am going to finish everything I have and I'm going to look for more. Um, nothing was ever too sweet. I was never too full. Um, and those are not the, uh, the way that people who, um, even if they're obese, even obese people um, that do not have this illness will stop eating when they are, you know, at least somewhat full or they'll, they'll just say that's enough. And I had my enough, my full button was broken from a very young age where I could not ever satisfy um, 
the cravings. And, you know, there was a time when I could go on a diet for a period of time, you know, a couple of weeks or something and do okay. But it got to the point where I couldn't even follow a food plan for, for a few hours in my day. I, as long as I, you know, I mean, it just was impossible. And so that is different than someone who can mentally convince themselves to do things okay. And, you know, I thought I spent a lot of time just trying to find the perfect food plan to get all of these external things lined up. But it wasn't until I completely surrendered to this program that, um, and really followed directions, not saying yes, but, or, well, you don't understand, and fully did what um, these books, these pages tell us, that I was able to recover. And I'm so grateful. And with that, I'll pass. All right. Thank you. Next up, we have Katie F. Katie? I was KDF. What? Oh, that was KDF. Nancy P. Yeah. I'm sorry. Nancy P. <laughs> Hi. <clears throat> Hi, Craig. No problem. Uh, this is Nancy P. Recovered in West Newton, Massachusetts. Good morning, everybody. Um, so this paragraph, the doctor gives a statement. So statements are not opinions. They're sort of um, um, evaluations of the facts. And I like that. I, I work with scientists and I like, I'm, you know, I've sort of all these years I've become data driven. And, um, you know, I'm used to people that that's what they rely on, data. And this confirms, the statement confirms what we already sort of knew in our minds, but we didn't, couldn't quantify it. So we just went on our unhappy ways, you know, continuing to eat. Um, and I didn't, you know, I knew that I was different, but I thought I just felt fat, dumb, and ugly. You know, that's how I felt different. But I didn't realize that I was different, that my actual physiology was different. You know, something, something about um, my body is different from other people. And, um, you know, I, whenever I sponsor people, you know, when we go through the doctor's opinion, I always talk about the Holmesian method, you know, and it's still used in police departments today all over the world. Whenever you, which it is exactly this, when you consider all of the facts and you discount the impossible, whatever is left, however improbable, must be the truth. So I knew that nobody tied me down and shoved food in my mouth. I knew that the food didn't jump out of the shelf into my cart and then into my mouth. I knew that my car wasn't Christine driving into a, you know, with a mind of its own driving into Dunkin' Donuts. I did all that. And the reason, even though I didn't want to. So, and the reason that I did that is because I couldn't not do it because my body is actually different. And, um, you know, once I surrendered, that was only the beginning, you know, then I had to actually, I think in in some way I was afraid to really accept that because that meant then that I was going to have to solve the problem in a way that I never wanted to. I was going to have to, you know, accept as truth all this stuff that it says in the book. And I can tell you that, um, you know, I've had some challenges since I've, um, since I've recovered, but I have not chosen to um, pick up food to, to ease the way. Um, I've never been happier in spite of all of those challenges, that my life is fuller than I could ever possibly have imagined. And, um, you know, I believe as the truth, every single thing that it says in this book without reservation, I believe it as the truth. This is like a textbook that is written 
and it it is completely true for me. There's nothing in this book that I disagree with even a little bit. I believe all of it, you know, down to my marrow. And, um, you know, because of that, because of my surrender combined with my continued work in this, you know, studying this book every day with all of you and working, especially working with others, teaching other women the steps, I have managed, um, I have not managed, I have, you know, joyfully given up food and I can't believe that after 47 years of trying to do it my way and trying to game the system and trying to figure out a different way than being different from other people, you know, trying to have another way to explain the facts, I am completely satisfied with every single thing in my life today. Even the yucky stuff is, you know, I would say it says, you know, elsewhere in the book, it talks about how in spite of, I say especially because of um, my, yes, the, the, um, the, the, problems that I have, that I, um, I'm living a life of happy, joyous, and free. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Okay. Thank you very much. Next, we have Elena Kay. Elena? Hi, this is Elena Kay. Um, this paragraph <clears throat> excuse me, just spoke volumes to me. I mean, when I when I first was introduced to 12-step programs, I, I didn't come in through OAA. I came in through a different food fellowship, um, but it was recommended I, I read a book about food addiction. And I'm so grateful that, that I was brought in through that route because I understood, like, okay, this is the first time I've ever heard this. My body is different than that of others. If I ingest certain substances, it sets off that phenomenon of craving, and, and then I can't stop eating. And I think so many people come into OA and still think it's just like a spiritual issue. They don't read the the doctor's opinion. They don't read the big book even, and they don't get the allergy of the body. And, you know, it says this is kind of like the, I'm trying to think of the word, like the, the novelty of Dr. Silkworth's, um, you know, writing this is that we, before dealing with the mind, we have to deal with the body because until the alcoholic puts down the alcohol, until the food addict puts down the substances that are causing that physical triggering of the allergy, we can't deal with the mind, which, you know, is also a problem. But until we put down the food, until I stopped ingesting the substances, I can't have any chance to, to have an open enough you know, clean enough head to work the steps because I'm in that sugar fog, I'm in that food fog, I'm in that whatever. Um, and I, I also, you know, like I, it says that we um, were maladjusted to life in full flight from reality or outright mental defectives. These were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable extent. Like, yes, I can say without a doubt that I am completely maladjusted to life and I often spend lots of time trying to be in full fright from reality because I don't want to accept and deal with what is. And this program is teaching me to show up and to accept life on life's terms. And it's really, really hard because I would rather be in full fight from reality. But when I work it and I have that connection to my higher power, I am definitely happier and it's remembering that <laughs> in those moments where I want to be in full flight but um the food has to be down and and I'm seeing like I I just did three 10 steps literally before this call because I'm in such maladjustment to life 
And it's like, that's my nature. You know, I, I'm accepting who I am today as a food addict and I'm accepting the spiritual toolkit that's laid out before me because if I don't process, you know, all this maladjustment to life, then I'm going to end up using something to, to escape again. And I really don't want to do that today. So I'm extremely grateful to know that my body is different and my mind is different, but that there is a solution and it lies in, in this book and in these steps. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Elaine. Okay. Next up, we have Lynn S. And Lynn will be followed by Mara Z. Lynn? Good morning. This is Lynn S., a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. I will never, ever forget the moment I read this. I was sitting downtown in a park bench in Toronto. Me, one end, 140 pounds extra weight, and a drunk sleeping it off on the other, because I was in downtown Toronto, don't you know? (laughs) And I'm reading this, and it was like nirvana. The weight of the world, the weight of my body, the weight of living as a fat kid being dragged from doctor to doctor, ridiculed my whole life, parents, family, fighting over the size of my body. And what do you feed that child anyway? And doctors and psychiatrists and pay in ways was all lifted from me. Finally, finally, after 36 years, somebody said what was wrong with me. The missing piece clunked in my heart. I always knew there was something wrong, but what was it? What was it that made me lie in bed crying, wanting to stop eating so badly, wanting to be thin and shoveling cheesecake and pretzels and bagels in my mouth ad infinitum until I was so sick I couldn't stand it. But wait a few minutes, it'll pass, and then I can keep going. There's nothing worse for me than binging when you don't want to, when you can't pack another morsel in, but my eyes are looking and my hands reaching. And yes, absolutely no doubt about it. Mental defective, you've got it. Maladjusted to life, absolutely. Full flight from reality, you bet. You bet. I heard another member say, and it was true for me too, I never knew what I was going to say, but I knew it would be a lie. And I remember my mom telling me when I was a kid, you lie like a rug. <laughs> it's true. I, I, the blessing that I feel over having this weight lifted off me, and I just remember thinking I was sitting there and the tears of compassion for myself came out and said, Lynn, it's not your fault. All those years of craziness with the food, it's not your fault. I am so blessed to have found this program of recovery and this meeting. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Okay, next we have Mara Z, and she'll be followed by Tom H. Look, Mara? Good morning, Craig. Thanks so very much for your 
service, um, or is he gratefully recovered in Virginia? And you know what? Everybody has this problem when they know that they are a compulsive overeater. But I didn't know I was a compulsive overeater. I just thought I was like permanently hungry all the time. Like I couldn't stop eating. There was no way I could stop eating. I would go on diets and I'd be successful. And then as soon as I could, I would eat something that I wanted to eat just because, well, I did so good on this diet or I did so good at this or, you know, it was always a reward. It was always something that I deserved. It never entered into my mind. It was never anywhere in the realm of possibilities that I actually had a physiological reason for why I could not put the food down and why I couldn't stay stopped if I had been lucky enough to put the food down. Not until I got into these rooms, not until I was... I was guided to study this book, study this particular chapter, and learn about myself. I must believe that my body is as sick as my mind. That as soon as I take in any substance that triggers my alcoholic tendencies, that's it. I'm off to the races. And that includes for me also behaviors. I've known that behaviors, because a behavior is of my body and of my mind, there are behaviors that trigger me. But it absolutely is that my body is quite as abnormal as my mind. When I take in certain, certain substances, I have a physiological reaction to them. If I take in sugar, I'm going to want more. It may not hit me that day. It may not hit me that hour. It may hit me in 20 seconds. I have no way of knowing. I will tell you this. I'm not about to take a chance. My life today is not perfect, but it's a way better version of my life than it was when I was in the food. I will not trade it. I will not give it back. Absolutely not. I have to continue to know and my body is as sick as my mind. And as long as I take care of it the way God wants me to take care of it on a daily basis and follow his lead, I can have another day of this gift. And with that, I pass. Okay. Thank you, Maura. Next up, we have uh, Tom H., and he'll be followed by Lauren N., and then we'll uh, take some new names. Morning. This is uh, Tom A. as an Apple uh, from Greenbelt, Maryland. Happy to be here. I'm a recovering and recovered uh, compulsive eater. I'm relatively new division and been in OA and AA for 40 years. And I read this book when I first came into the program. Uh, and I'm uh, slowly overcoming my resistance to studying it the way you study it. I came on this meeting a I don't know, nine months or a year ago, and I couldn't imagine spending a whole meeting on one paragraph. And now I kind of, I take delight in it. And so I'm happy to be here. For me, the word alcoholic torture uh, it just reminds me, uh, part of my challenge is that to remember that uh, not to minimize my disease. Uh, I've been 
away from compulsive eating for a long time, particularly sugar. I was relieved of sugar almost immediately when I came 40 years ago. And I spent 40 years accepting the rest of this paragraph that my body and mind are not normal and that there are other foods besides sugar that I couldn't handle. And I, you know, it took me eight years to deal with flour and uh, 12 years to deal with caffeine and the list goes on. And a year and a half ago, I realized that I was still playing. I, I, I sort of took delight in being 95% abstinent and, and reserving the right to eat certain uh, comfort foods when I uh, was lonely or angry or needed some help. And I just decided that was crazy because this is a, a progressive disease. That's why I keep coming back. It gets worse. And, you know, I've learned what the triggers are. I have emotional triggers and I have physical triggers. If I eat certain foods, uh, I want more. And I sponsored a lot of people over the years and their triggers are different than my triggers. And some people try to tell me they don't have a problem with sugar and I listen to them and some may not and some do and it doesn't matter. What I need to do is be honest that I have a physical and a mental illness and that it's treated. And, and the thing that uh, about this is that I get a daily reprieve and it's based on my spiritual condition. And, and that means that I believe I'm in, in grace, uh, that I can't do this alone, that I need a higher power, uh, that knowledge that it's a physical problem and a mental problem by itself isn't going to take care of this for me. I, I need to accept the gift of abstinence from my higher power, which is a grace and then be willing to do the work to just show up and work the steps and work with others and and to uh, come to meetings. So really grateful you all are here and to have learned about it and uh, grateful to be part of this meeting this morning. Thanks. Thank you, Tom. <clears throat> Tom A., thank you very much. Next up, we have uh, Lauren N. Lauren? Hi. Oh, thank you so much, Craig. Um, this is Lauren N., compulsive reader, sugar addict from New York. I thought... I Lauren, we're having trouble hearing you. Hi, Lauren Ann. Can you hear me now, Craig? I can hear you now. Okay. The little man started talking. So I am grateful for this program. I cannot say how much this program and you all and this book and Dr. Silkworth, of all people, has helped me to live a life that I never, ever could have imagined. I was 287 pounds at 5'1", giving myself three shots of, of, of uh, sorry, one shot of insulin, three shots of other something to make sure that my body could handle all the sugar I was putting in it. I was morbidly obese and undergo and already had undergone my second bariatric surgery and was gaining the weight back. And that's when I came crawling into this program. 
And boy, has this program helped me get to the point where I have now been almost five years without sugar and almost six weeks or maybe eight weeks without any behaviors. I did not realize that I was, I didn't realize that the behaviors were going to cause me this, this, craziness that goes on in my brain that that even though I wasn't eating sugar, wasn't eating flour, wasn't eating salt, wasn't, you know, was being careful and being and weighing and measuring, it was the two or three snacks at night that I was having that was causing me to go crazy and to think about controlling it. Thank you so much all of you for reminding me that it can be also behaviors. Eight weeks ago, I gave up all my behaviors. And what a difference eight weeks has made. Thank you all for being here. With that, I'm going to pass. Okay, Lauren, thank you very much for your share. Um, Ready now to take a Another list of names, uh, again, remind you that if you shared in the last couple of days that uh, uh, there are others, on the, there's over 400 people on this call, so let's give everybody a chance. So who would like to share? Hello, Vinny am I being C. heard? Vinny C. Okay, out of that one not, I got... Sam S. Geneva P. Helene. Nancy R. So, so, I got I got Vinny, Russ, and Nancy. Okay. R. All right, that was just a bunch of noise. Uh, Jolene D. Jolene L. Pauline Helene, P. Helene L. All right, I got Helene and Pauline. Geneva P. D. Nessa oh, R. Nessa. Geneva P. All right. Let's stop right there. I'm not sure I'll get to Geneva. Uh, I've got Vinny, Russ, Nancy, Jolene, Pauline, Helene. Did I get that? Nessa R. And uh, Geneva P. Um, that's... Um, I hope that's not just my ears, but uh, anyway, Vinny, let's go ahead and get started. Am I being heard? Is this Vinny? Yes. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. This is okay. Vinny. <laughs> Recovered and then you're being heard. And um, I, I, you know, ditto to uh, the day that I discovered that there was something wrong with me actually physically and mentally wrong with me. Now, that doesn't sound like something to celebrate, but oh my gosh, you know, I just, I beat myself up so badly all my life. Um, You know, I I went into therapy and all those other things, and I learned to blame everybody, you know, everybody and myself, most of all myself. And, uh, you know, when I gave that up, you know, the, the whole world looked 
so much brighter. Um, I mean, it just, it's not my fault, you know, and there is something I can do about it. And that something is to follow these steps, you know, and believe in everything that, that's in here um, and make it work for me. And it, it's a part of my life now. And um, just to sort of add a little brightness to to everybody's day, this is my second recovery birthday. And I am just thrilled to death. And uh, it looks like a good one. And it's wonderful to be with you all. And thank you. I pass. Okay, thank you. Uh, next we have Russ M. Russ. Thanks, Greg. Russ M. Recovered compulsive reader outside of Philly. Good morning. So, that the body of the alcoholic is quite abnormal as his mind. When I, when I read that, the first time I ever read that, it was like every defense, everything that was holding me back, just like went away. It, it it was a missing piece to to my to my craziness. You know, to, to to this life of confusion and chaos. And you know sometimes I think of what, what Bill was how Bill felt when he when him and him and Silky were talking about this and discussing this. Like what relief he felt. You know, you know, we we do the things that we don't want to do, that we swore off, that we promised we'll never do again. You know, our brain and our body, it's connected. It's connected. The obsession, it, it, it uh, how, how would you say, it controls us. You know, it controls us. So, you know, that's, that's what came out to me today. And that was like the first little glimmer of hope I had is when I read that, that specific line. That yes, it, look, you know I'm a little crazy, but it made a lot of things. It, it didn't make me sane, but it, it, it opened up my eyes and it actually opened up my heart. That I, you know, that I had something. I had a disease. I had something that I couldn't control. So I just, you know, I think of what Bill and Doctor Bobman went. Can you imagine the joy that they had and how they felt? And I'm sure that propelled them to give us to others. So just. It's just incredible to me that what this book has done and this program has done. So thanks a lot. Y'all have a good day. Love you. Okay, Russ. Love you too. Thanks. Um, next up we have Nancy R. And then I think followed by Jolene. Um, Nancy? Ah, thank you. Thank you for your service. And thank you to everybody who shared this morning. I've gotten a lot from everybody to share. I was prompted to uh, share this morning because um, I had heard that and I really uh, believed it. But then I ran across a book, and um, this researcher has researched um, the bodies of of people who are sensitive to uh, the kinds of to you know to our to my trigger foods, and the researcher had a chart in there that outlined the different stages of a normal person's metabolism when they eat my trigger foods. And he had a chart of a person that he calls, uh, 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 he has another name for it, but it's 
people who are who are allergic that I said foods that I'm allergic to. And when I when I saw the chart, I saw the different stages uh, that a normal body metabolizes my binge foods. And then they they're they're approximately one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight stages that the body goes through that changes the brain chemistry and lets the body know that you're full. Then he showed the the chart shows the um stages my uh, uh that my body person who's carbohydrate sensitive, sugar sensitive, only does half of that. So as a result, there's no change in my brain chemistry. And my body keeps telling me that I'm I'm not full. So when I saw the actual research on it, it was like, wow, this really explains the whole concept of being powerless. My body is not like a normal eater. It doesn't, if I eat those substances, the signals go on and on, more and more, and I have no power over it because my, my brain is demanding that I put more in. And it really, it really clarified for me uh, what power, powerlessness actually is. It's a physiological thing. I'm not a weak-willed person. I'm not greedy. I have uh, a disorder. I'm different. You know, I don't know if it's genetic, genetically based or whatever. The uh, the reality is that my body is different, and 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 I must, if I'm to have peace of mind, I must abstain from those instances, or otherwise I'll be craving. So uh, Dr. Silkworth knew that. Um, this researcher um, uh, showed me scientifically why, but. Uh, and I'm grateful that I thought, I'm grateful. I'm, today I'm grateful that I know that there are foods I cannot ingest without setting up this phenomenon. So I thank you for letting me share. If anybody's interested in seeing the chart, I'd be more than happy to um, give, uh, give uh, me a text. I'll be more than happy yeah. to share. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah. Let's be careful about endorsing outside literature um, on the line. Um, next up we have Jolene followed by Pauline, followed by Helene, if I got this right. So, Jolene? Good morning, everyone. Jolene D. from upstate New York. Can I be heard? Yes, I can hear you. Thank you. I know there's a Jolene, a Helene, an Eileen, so (laughs) I appreciate your service this morning, Craig. Um, Every once in a while, often there's a meeting that I listen to that just resonates with me so much that makes me remember why it's so important that I dial in. And I do it every morning. Sometimes I miss a morning here and there, but I promise myself that one of my goals as I go through this program for me is to listen as often as possible. And I've had some other people in program, whether it's this one or another 12-step, say, wow, really, that often? And I say yes, because that's what works for me. And the book is a reminder, not just, what we must do, as someone stressed earlier, but what we must do for ourselves to make it work. And I know sometimes for newcomers, when you're navigating this, sometimes there is a little bit of struggle because there's not much clarity, but that's the beauty of listening as often as you can or or working with a sponsor to go through the steps. But when I hear like this morning, so much has resonated with me as reminders. And for a girl like me, I need those reminders constantly. Sometimes I can read them and I glaze over because maybe I'm not as focused as I should be. But then I hear them. And then I think, wow, that's right. This is progressive. 
which means I do have to stay in this, which means I do have to make this part of my life now. This isn't something I do 12 steps and close the book and just say to someone, yep, I did it. There's so much more to it because every day there's a gem. And this morning the gem is this is progressive, this is mental, this is physical. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is physical. And because I'm different, it doesn't make me wrong or someone who needs to be set aside. We're all unique. And this is part of my uniqueness. And I have to embrace this as a, quote, flaw that I need guidance with from my higher power, from the people on this line, from my sponsor, from the different folks that I talk to to get through this. I'm being vulnerable when I say, this is something where I can't do it alone. I need the guidance of my higher power and those around me. And you know what? I like that. I like that I can carve it into my life and make it part of what I'm doing so I'm healthier. Because if I'm healthier, I have clarity. If I have clarity, I can function better in my life. If I can function better in my life, I can help others and serve others, which ultimately is what this program is about. Because when you're serving others, God, that feels so good. From holding a door to having a conversation with someone who's broken and feels hopeless. So I want to thank everyone on the line this morning for being my reminder. And with that, I'll pass. Okay. Thank you very much, Um, Jolene. Next we have Pauline. Pauline? Yes, thank you. My name is Pauline, and I'm a compulsive overeater, Long Island, New York. Uh, I, my journey with my disease uh, began at birth. I came into AA uh, when I was 30 years old, um, not really progressed with the disease, but I saw family members who died from it. And I married an alcoholic, and I didn't want to become one myself, not knowing that I already was one. I came into OA a year later after I gave birth to my third child. I was told that I was pre-diabetic and that I went to see an endocrinologist. He gave me a, um, a food plan, which I could not keep, and that's when I found OA. I'm 77 today. I've been in vision now for a month, and I know abstinence today for three weeks. Um, I was an alcoholic before I picked up a drink. It wasn't the alcohol that caused me to be allergic. I had that allergy before I picked it up. The food also, the um All the carbohydrates that I was fed when I was a child, uh, they they did not cause me to be hypoglycemic or a compulsive overeater. That was already built into my system. I'm learning more every day about my disease. Consequently, because I am still a student, I am still passionate about learning. I haven't reached that point where I think I know it all. I've studied my disease through getting a um, different degrees over the years, studied my uh, spiritual life by getting a master's in theology, working as a chaplain, Um, you know, the psychological part about it. I've read every book that you could name and more, and yet it is my life experiences that are the greatest teacher's 
the simplicity of the big book that far outweighs any book I have ever read. And yet from it, I've been able to seek other sources that were very um, edifying, but they gave me nothing more. Um, my big master's degree, and big, the big book gave me the awareness that God is the director of my life. I received directives from my God. Um, I, can, I can live in reality today and find pleasure in, in my food, in my friendships. Even in this time of being isolated, I still find the, the comfort of this program through phone meetings such as this. And with that, I pass. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Pauline. Next we have Helene, and Helene, we have about three minutes, so um, if you want to go quick, we might have time to get Nessa in afterwards, but otherwise, we've got three minutes. Hi, I'm Helene, and I, I never speak at this meeting, but I listen to you all the time, and I decided to speak out. I'm 48 years abstinent. That means not going and overeating, and the big book has been very important to me, especially this part, which is about the allergy, the physical allergy. Um, yes, that was one piece I never knew. I never knew I was on diets for many years, gained and lost many, uh, many pounds, but every time I picked up one compulsive bite of something that I knew I wasn't supposed to have, I couldn't stop. I mean, I couldn't stop. And I think some of the literature talks about being feeling like a weak-willed glutton. That's exactly how I felt. Um, you know, physically, after you binge, it's disgusting. And uh, it culminated for me when I was uh, in my 20s, and I was ready to jump out of a four-story window, and I almost ended my life. But something inside said, Helene, go back, go back in. And that was the week that I found uh, Overeaters Anonymous, and I started my journey. So I don't tempt faith today. I still call in my food. I pray. Uh, I go through the steps. Uh, I do everything I can because what I believe is that first compulsive bite is a killer. It'll kill me. It, it, and you know what? Even if my body is in, uh, in a coffin, um, I'm totally mocused. I'm walking around like it's a living death. So for today, I think the world needs every bit of everyone's resourcefulness, me too, and I feel clean. I most of the time am clear. And when I'm not, I can call other people. Thank you. That's it. Okay. Uh, thank you, Helene. And I'm sorry, uh, Nessa and uh, uh, Geneva, we're not going to have time to get to you. Uh, maybe you can stay and share in the next unrecorded hour. Um, okay. Uh, it's the end of the month. I want to thank Team Thursday for being here and, and all your hard all your contribution and work this month. Um, so um, 
thanks again to everybody that shared today. Uh, and we invite you to everybody to stay for the second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for the meeting that's now con concluding is 15,076, 15076. Um, and that's for today's date, which is July 30th, 2020. We're now going to close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Um, let's see. Will Nancy P. Uh, please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only through Keep You Until Then. Nancy? Nancy P. Am I being hurt? Hi, Craig. If nobody shows up, I would be glad to read. This is Raquel. Uh -huh. Thanks. Thanks, Raquel. All right, uh, Barbara, you're our backup reader. Do you? Are you on? Can you read from page 164? Yeah. Hi, Craig. This is Barbara, compulsive overeater, and, and uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask Him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.